Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law in Sport. We have a fantastic show for you today with one of the pioneers in sports law, Professor Kenneth Shropshire from the Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's an absolute gentleman and someone I have a deep admiration for, so I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Um, there are I did have some microphone issues, so apologies for that from my side, but Ken sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I caught him when we were at the Sports Lawyers Association conference in May, um, just about, just before, I should say, before he went off for dinner with his um, family and colleagues from the conference. So it was just a short interview for today. But before we get into the show, there's a few things to make you aware of. For those of you that love soccer or football, we've got our football law in practice course that you can now do on demand. Or you can do the premium version, which is going to take in place in February next year, which we have live lectures with the 40 lecturers or so that are on the course. We've had fantastic feedback from the first core cohort on the premium version of the course. Um, and students are now underway on the on-demand one, um, which is absolutely fantastic. So check that out. Secondly, we've got the Sports Law Arbitration Moot Slam, the fourth edition is now open for registration. We've got finals in Lausanne. Last year, we had over 70 teams from 30 countries. We had 40 advocates uh, judging the written submissions, along with 30 CAS arbitrators. All of the all rounds are judged by CAS arbitrators. There's a £1,500 prize for the winners, £1,000 £1, for the runners-up. Um, the finals are going to be in Lausanne this year, um, and we have regional finals as well. So check out all the details on the website. Go to our community page and and do check that out. Other than that, um, we really do appreciate your support. If you like the podcast, please do give us some uh, ratings, hopefully favourable ratings on Spotify and iTunes and any other platform you're listening on. It does make an, a real difference to the success of the podcast and means we can do more of them. So please do do that. And of course, if you if you like the show, please just tell people about it. Word of mouth really matters. Um, other than that, as I said before, it was a real honour and privilege to sit down with uh, Ken. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did, or the interview as much as I did. And other than that, I hope you enjoy the show. Um, first of all, it's a pleasure to actually sit down with you and do this. I know you're really busy, so thanks for taking the time out of the Sports Lawyers Association Conference. Busy schedule to come and talk. Years ago, we met in Atlanta. Right, and, you, and I, was, I was telling you earlier, I'm going to embarrass you just for the podcast sake. You were incredibly uh, kind and supportive to me when I was starting out with Lawrence Sport, particularly covering American issues, and you were inquisitive and nice. I didn't realise how sort of influential you were in a lot of people's careers in sports law. Um, you know, for anyone who's been in the sector for a while, they know who you are. You probably, particularly in the US, you've helped coach and guide both athletes and a lot of lawyers. For those that aren't familiar with you, and I'll, they will be after this. Can you just say, how did you start off in this sector so many years ago now? Well, you know, the, the basis for, for knowing a lot of people, for sure, is my time as a professor at the, the University of Pennsylvania, not to be confused with Penn State, at the Wharton School, the business school there. So I've been on the faculty there, uh, it's the first time I'm saying it like this, for almost, almost 40 years. So that, that's quite a while. I took a little detour to Arizona State University for the past five years, going back to Penn um, in July, but certainly met the bulk of the people. And you think about this, if, if I teach a class, well, probably three or four classes a year with at least 60 people in each class for 40 years, 
that's like the old you know, math word problem. I don't know how many people that is, but it's, it's, it's a lot. And some of them turn out, turn out to be successful. Prior to that, I was um, a lawyer in Los Angeles. And then prior to that, I was an executive with the LA Olympic Organizing Committee, ran the sport of boxing, and I also worked in sponsorship and licensing before that, and then on a law firm again before that. So it's been a little while. So, so but how did the, so being involved in the Los Angeles Games, was that the first piece of sports work that you, you saw the sports work you were involved with, or were you involved earlier in that? And then? Well, earlier, I mean, I, I went to law school with the intention Actually, I went to, to undergrad school with the intention of being a professional American football player. That uh, fizzled out pretty quickly. So then uh, the idea of being a lawyer doing sports work came to me about two years into uh, undergraduate school. So what, what year was this, you are asking? I, I, well, I already told you I was at one place for 40 years, so <laughs> let's add some more years on that. <laughs> so um, I was in, in, in college, Stanford University, from 1973 to 1977. So that, that long ago. <laughs> that's really interesting, right? Because if you look at, say, way back when the sports, I did you know, my, my first interviews with Tony Agnew, right? Yeah, yeah. The SLA. Right, when it actually started so many years ago. You must be one of the first people with the intention, at least, going to university and acting for sports clients, right, as a, as a lawyer. Because I've interviewed a lot of people now over the years, and that was kind of like in the sort of early days of, of professional sports. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a good question because my second year in college, it became clear, as my head coach told me, you'll never start at Stanford University. So I said, oh, if I'm going to stay in sports, I better find something. And that was a time when uh, Lee Steinberg, Mike Trope, uh, a few others were just beginning to represent athletes. As as uh, Trope wasn't a lawyer, but but Steinberg was. So I said, "Ah." Oh. Everyone who doesn't know, like they're not making a connection. That's the Jerry Maguire movie. Right, 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 <laughs> right. But he's real life. He'd yeah. gone to Berkeley, just around the corner from where I was at school. I connected with him on LinkedIn once, and it like uh, we actually are connected on LinkedIn. Oh, is that right? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and for me, again, just having, that, just having a connection, I was like, oh my god. I've <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. So then I, I had thought about law school, but I thought about law school after my professional football career that didn't happen. Uh, so as I got to law school, there were you know, no sports law courses. I just began to reach out and try to meet people. And it was really, the Sports Lawyers Association started, I think, mid-70s. I went to my first sports lawyers conference, maybe early 80s sometime, in, in Los Angeles. And that's when kind of my networking marathon began. Uh, but that was, that was even before I worked with the LA Olympic Organizing Committee. Yes, my, my first sports law work. Actually, the firm that I went to was Manat Phelps, Rothenberg, and Tunney. Alan Rothenberg, who's a big organizer of the World Cup in the U.S. last time I was here. Uh, he ran uh, Olympic soccer in 84. He was one of the head partners of the firm. And he had business in sports, uh, represented the then San Diego Clippers, the Portland Trailblazers, and Jack Kent Cook, who was then the owner of the L.A. franchises, the, the Kings in hockey, the Lakers and on the LA Forum, so we did a lot of work for them. I did uh, Steve Greenberg uh, from Allen and Company. Now was an attorney there. Uh, he represented about 50 baseball players for 
for your listeners who are baseball fans, Steve Greenberg is the Hall of Famer, Hank Greenberg's son. So he had special insights into baseball. And also starting with me about, he was about a year ahead of me at that firm, was Arn Tellum, who's, who's now a you know, big wheel with the Pistons, but was a, a, a great agent as well. So, so I had that kind of early foray before I went into uh, the LA Olympic Organizing Committee and, and that sort of thing. So then you go into the Olympic Organizing Committee. What was it like? I was, you know, mid-20s. It was the greatest job ever. I mean, even with all the fun stuff I've done, that was still, it, being so young and given so much authority that we shouldn't have had. I mean, to, to run boxing at the time was the most televised sport in the games. And think about it, it was a, a two-week sporting event uh, with two sessions a day. Um, and in those games, Evander Holyfield was a big name that came out of it, although he wasn't a gold medalist. But uh, <laughs> well, and, and Mike Tyson was trying to qualify. He worked for us for a bit uh, during the games. So that was just a tremendous exposure. One of the people that worked for me is 82 years old now, I guess. Harvey Schiller ran the competition, but he became the uh, executive director of the U.S. Olympic Committee. He was uh, uh, the commissioner of the SEC conference and just a huge investor in sports now. So I met a lot of great people in, in that journey. Peter Ubroth, who went on to become uh, baseball commissioner and that sort of thing. Cool. And... You say it was the best, like, you've done some cool stuff over the years. Why was that? I know you've got a lot of responsibility, but what was the, if you were to say in a nutshell, why that was the best job that you had, or the most best experience, I, I guess it's a better way to phrase it. Why? Was well, beyond, you know, this is kind of like that, that, uh, new, that organization that does, you know, best places to work. Um, it was, kind of, in some ways, it was an early Google in terms of, you know, as a new sponsor would come in, this, sounds, this is not why this is a great place to work, but it just hit me as you asked the question. We had, the first Olympic sponsors were M&M Mars, which made uh, M&Ms and, and uh, Mars bars. So we had all this product, Coca-Cola. So product was everywhere as, as we signed these deals. So, so number one, it was kind of a, you know, you, you, had, to watch your, you had to watch your weight, let's just say that. <laughs> um, and then there was, this is all food related. They, they were testing out all the Olympic kitchen type stuff and, and how to serve the Olympic family. So meals were always, you know, come try this, come try that. So there was that element, which a lot like the Google of, of today, right? There's just kind of, you have these, these extra perks. But for me as a kid who grew up in uh, Southwest LA, which is South Central now, um, the idea of, Okay, you're going to run boxing, so you have to go to Italy for two weeks to watch the, the Boxing World Cup. And you have to understand, you have to get to know these people. I'm, you know, since I'm 27, 28 years old, to have to immerse myself in that world, uh, to understand Aiba, uh, which was then uh, only less problematic uh, than it is now, it was just an amazing, eye-opening thing. And, and to... It, those games, there were 23 Olympic sports, I believe. And sitting right next to me, boxing, next to my office was basketball. The Hall of Famer, Gail Goodridge, ran bo basketball, kind of equivalent role to me. So I got to know Gail Goodridge, this legendary basketball player. But, but things like that. There were just some amazing people who are some of my best friends uh, today. We, but we spent hours upon hours. Uh, these games were... 
extraordinarily difficult because, again, the first games um, that, that did not have uh, governmental monies, it came, I think Moscow was 1980, so we got no references, no understanding of how those games were run. And so the best information we had were from Montreal in 76, uh, where a lot of that information, yes, ladies and gentlemen, was in French. Uh, and uh, by some dimensions, they didn't run the games that well. So it wasn't the best guidance in, 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 financially. That's right. That's right. But we were profitable. So, so it was, it was, we did all this work and it was a success, you know, $250 million surplus, which hadn't happened. Uh, so the 84 games were just, just right. as amazing. Did that happen any time after that? Well, you know, it's, it's tricky accounting. You can make, you know, you know Barcelona looks pretty positive in some ways because of, of all the legacy that, that, yeah. that's left behind. So, uh, it, just, just a, just a great experience. The ones, I must admit, that's one of the ones that people refer to as they use the infrastructure, local infrastructure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, oh, man. I know it's a conscious of time because you've, you've got less than five minutes. I knew this is where we need like, a few hours. Well, maybe I'll fly back over. Just to <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's technology we can talk via what? Zoom or something like that. So then you go from there. And then how did you end up in academia? From... Well, you know, so, so the games end, and um, for me, it was, it was pretty abrupt. Uh, the, the closing ceremonies take place. We had a big party afterwards, and then they made a decision about who would stick around and who wouldn't and how long. Um, and Peter Yilbarth, who ran the games, told us, I think wisely, don't start looking for your next job. And they had an outplacement services, but I didn't, have, I didn't have a next job lined up. He was lined up, by the way, un, unbeknownst to us, to be the next commissioner of baseball, and, and a lot of us were trying to figure out what was next. I, I wanted a job uh, with a league or a team or something like that. And I will tell you, um, I don't say this out loud too often, I hit the first wall of, of really understanding the level of discrimination that was taking place. I wasn't anybody fantastic, but I w ran one of 23 Olympic sports. 100%. And I thought, uh, maybe I could... record has proven that you were uh, pretty much... <laughs> I thought maybe I could get an assistant GM job or something like that. I couldn't get anything. Uh, but fortunately, I had... What, what's, what, what year is this? So this is 1984. Um, fortunately, I was a lawyer, so I said, oh, well, let me practice law. But the other thing that gets to your question, how to become an academic, when I first went to that law firm, the, almost the first day in 1980, Alan Rothenberg, the partner that ran the firm, had been teaching a sports law class at a local law school in L.A. I think he had a trial or something coming up, and he said, hey, how'd you like to teach this class? I had never thought about teaching before. And I think he said, you know, he saw it in my eyes that I wasn't that interested. He said something like, well, it's, you know, $750 a month or something like that. So, so you know, that was enough for me to, and, and it, you know, maybe subliminally I realized it's a way for my, me to immerse myself in sports law. So here I was at that time, fresh out of law school, 24, 25, um, and the law school, Southwestern Law School, is more of a law as a second career place where the students were all older than me. So I overprepared so I wouldn't be embarrassed in front of these folks and invested a lot of time in it. And I continued to teach that class uh, even during the Olympic Games so for about five or six years, just as an adjunct teaching a class once a year on sports law. So all the greatest updates before a sports law textbook actually existed. 
So that, that was, you know, I didn't write the first sports law textbook, but a couple other people did that. But I was one of the early ones to teach the class and immerse myself in it. Uh, so the games end. Uh, I end up being a lawyer, doing some sports stuff. I did represent some track and field athletes from the games. I rec- represented uh, uh, Pamela McGee, who was one of the basketball players, whose son and daughter uh, are now tremendous basketball players. Show you how long ago it was. I represented the boxer, Henry Tillman. Um, and I did some work with rap groups. You know, I'm in L.A., so I'm young and hanging out. And, and again, if you think about where we are now, with the, the sort of convergence of... Right, right. You're kind of like, a, that's what I'm saying, I keep saying it. You're kind of <laughs> that's how I view you anyway. Right? But I didn't, make the bi- I didn't make the big money like that. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the timing was terrible, but the, uh, <laughs> you know what you can do about that. <laughs> but in the end, I mean, you know, shout out to, to the mothers on this. So, you know, I grew up in L.A., yeah. and I, I think one day I was going to do my laundry at my mother's house, and I'd probably been out most of the night... Uh, chasing uh, rap groups or whatever. <laughs> and she set me down at the kitchen table where I used to sit, you know, growing up. And she says, what are you going to do? I said, well, what are you talking about? She says, you know, uh, job-wise, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm... She says, no, no. You don't, you don't have a path right now, but you seem to like that teaching stuff. Why don't you look into that? I'm telling you, my mother says this. Uh, I called up... She says this, I listen. So I call up a law professor... Uh, from Stanford, where I went to the last year of law school, and I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about this. How, you know, how could I do this on a bigger scale?" And he tells me about a conference where law professors go to get hired traditionally straight out of law school. He says, "Yeah, send in a resume, and uh, they put it in a resume book. And if the firms like you, they'll invite you invite you in." He said, "Just tell them what you want to do." So I write up a resume, say I want to teach sports law, which is so. This is uh, again 1986 still nascent and I get 20 responses saying yeah we'd like to interview so I end up getting on a plane going to Chicago interview with a bunch of places and one of the places I ended up getting offers that, that had a comeback uh, a callback for me was the Wharton School at, at Penn and I went and did it thinking I was going to do it for a couple of years and then come back wow. to LA and be at a Los Angeles Law School and so one of the things you said is and I'm conscious of time because I didn't know you've got other, sure. other engagement so if you need to run just let me know um um, you mentioned at first that you had this look in your eyes if you, you know did you really want to do it but then there's a, this transition where obviously you invested the time you were delivering this this course um, your mother had recognised <laughs> like, again shout out to your mum and I love this in terms of like if you're fortunate enough to have good parents and they can guide you so, so um, any support network really is so valuable because sometimes right. they tell you what you can't see right, right, right. they're people, good friends family members others she says, right, go and do it. What was the transition for you in terms of what you perceived it to be and then what it became? And obviously, you've now had a very successful career in academia. What is it about teaching in particular that is something that, that resonated with you so strongly? Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of it goes back to what, what you alluded to originally, was how many people I would meet and how many lives I could influence. Uh, the engagement in the classroom where people are really sincere than outside the classroom where they want more information. So, so that combined with just, just the sub, subject matter, which if, I, if somebody asked me to teach mathematics or something like that, it wouldn't have been the same thing. And then, you know, the, the final piece of it, yeah, I wanted to be a professional athlete. After that professional football career was over, I wanted to be a journalist or a broadcaster, and I wanted to write books. 
So in my process, in my journey of calling that law professor, he says, well, you know, you have to be prepared to to write if you want to get tenure. I says, oh, I, that's, I can do that. And, and kind of not being focused on trying to get in as a regular Ph.D. person or others uh, would do, I was older, kind of more mature when they told me what to do. I started writing books right away. So in the process, and, and by the way, sidebar, um, my wife was going to medical school and uh, was training to be an anesthesiologist, which starts the day at 5 a.m. So we only had one car. So I would get up with her as the my first full-time teaching job began, and I would start writing. I'd drop her off, and I would go and write. So I published... Now, now I've published um, um, 12 books, 12 plus books, some you know, co-edited and that sort of thing. Um, which, <laughs> well, but it's my job. You know, in, in my mind, it was my job, and it was the way to uh, to move forward and have success. So, um, so, so that's how it came about. A lot of this makes sense, right? Because I said that I know a lot of people in the in the world sports world now, thankfully. And a lot, your name comes up a lot. And I said this, I know you don't like to be praised, but like, it does come up a lot. Like as in, oh, yeah, you know, Professor, Professor Shopshire. There's, there's my crew waiting, for, yeah. including my son. Right, okay. We may not want to edit this out or not. It's up to you. you can okay. <laughs> Given as such a talented individual, right, so it's already a, you know, proven now, very bright, Forward thinking and shout out. I know you're doing the first one of the first MOOCs. Right. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about that. that yeah. Eight years ago, nine years ago, maybe. Like, okay. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. 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 Pay attention. See? Right. Because <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, right? Because I've never had to experience the discrimination you yeah. had to face and the stuff that you talked about. Like, just in terms of, I know you don't like to focus on it so much from what you said, but Is there anything about that where you just like, you know, obviously you've been incredibly successful, but is there anything about that where you kind of look at it and go, man, like, you know, I just, I, you know, as you say it, the, the injustice of it all, right. just, like, like, screams out and it just doesn't, you know, I know it's the world that, it's the world that it was, but as, you know, someone who carries himself with such, um, you know, I don't know, authority and, 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 and uh, compassion for others, do you ever, does that ever bother you now, like as in terms of, even though you've been so successful, the fact of like, you know, maybe it got you into the path you're in, but like in the fact of like, how come a new, like when you say, imagine if you said what you'd achieved at that age now, right? you're on a trajectory to be your general manager or you know, general counsel somewhere. Does that, have you got peace with that? Or have you <laughs> no, 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 I understand, I understand the question. Yeah. I, I am, you know, Reason, reason I hesitate in responding. I don't want to sound too trite. I mean, it, and, and, and it's not the end. I, I've had a great life. <laughs> I mean, uh, and you know, I just don't know how it would have turned if, if I if I went that if I was allowed to take that traditional path. You know what? You know what would I end up being? I, you know, maybe the, the height of that, I guess, is commissioner of some league, which which I think was in the traditional trajectory was something that I could have contemplated. I ended up one point. By the way, I was a candidate, at least, to be commissioner of the National Football League, one of many candidates, uh, and certainly not in any final interview rounds or anything like that. So, you know, that, I mean, you're asking, the question you're asking, um, 
you know, my grandfather was born in 1893, and in in the U.S., kind of the demarcation of um, the end of slavery, emancipation, was only um, 30 years before that. So, you know, I always think about being that close, you know, my grandfather used to live with us, to um, a man whose parents had been enslaved. Um, so for me to complain anyway about the progress that I had, he, he, um, went to a co- he went, actually went to college, a college called Southwestern College in Kansas. I went there and they uh, posthumously and retroactively uh, led him into the Southwestern College Athletics Hall of Fame. He was one of the early African Americans to, wow. to go to the school, so he probably went there sometime uh, right after he fought in World War I. Um, and when I went there, I was trying to figure out, if he went there in 1917, you know, I was trying to figure out how did he get to that college from the town that he grew up in, Medicine Lodge, Kansas, uh, some 50 miles away. No automobiles. I don't know if they had, a, 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 you know, horses or whatever, a mule. Maybe he walked. I mean, I never asked him those those kinds of questions. So to come from that, and he was very successful in his own right, coming from, from that kind of foundation. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what could have been. Just, just But I know... And part of the work that I do, I mean, it'd be frankly to kind of tie up your, your whole kind of thesis about, about the work I try to do, is to help those coming after me have the success and not have to deal with those kinds of issues and to have um, that kind of thought in their head about, did I not get the job because? I mean, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know, absolutely. And I don't try to spend a lot of time making that the reason or uh, letting that stop me from doing the things I'm able to do. As I said... I said, I know a lot of people. Um, I do know a lot of people. That's the one thing that, that I'm good at is knowing a lot of people. Mm. When I hear from people internationally, from like all over the place, that the people you've influenced, and some of we talked about earlier, because no. like that's a legacy, right? In terms of like going out and helping that many people, and as you said, um, the cumulative impact of that, like someone else can do the math right. for us, right? Teaching those people and being that positive influence, I think is is some. Uh, some contribution right so anyway thank you for that because i want to i want to get this on record because like i said i've always wanted to do a proper interview with you i'd love to do a, a, a longer one about your career because i said i i i, I know a lot of people and I, ch- I reference check people and everything else and i said you've helped a lot of my friends in the sector a lot of people i look up to in the sector and obviously i couldn't do what i've done if it wasn't for people like you who are pioneers like when i was three years old <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you and i said this to like a lot of the uh, my generation, generation now coming through is like it's the people like you who create pathways for other people that have you know, been able to particularly knowledge share. And I know this is a big thing you, you do, and again, you don't ask for a lot of credit for it, but I, it's something that I value a lot. And it's something when I was coming through, including law and sport, is something I value a lot. So thank you very much. I know you've got to now go to do something a bit more fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shad. But no, I really appreciate it. No, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right.
Well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. But remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawandsport.com. And of course, if you like the show, please do tell people about it. It means the world to us. It makes a difference. Please go to Spotify. Give us a star rating. We've got quite a few on iTunes. But, you know, if you're listening on Spotify, please give us a a rating if you enjoy the show. It does make a big difference to us. And other than that, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, you're part of the world. I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you so much for tuning in.